Hello, friends, and welcome to the Optimized Advisor Podcast, where we focus on optimizing the well-being and best practices of insurance and financial professionals today. On this show, our objective is to help you optimize your life, optimize your profession, and learn from other optimized advisors. I'm your host, Scott Heinela. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good day to you, Joseph Pantozzi. Thank you for coming on the Optimize Advisor podcast. It's good to connect with you today. Good to connect with you, Scott. I'm, I'm excited to hear what I have to say. <laughs> as, as I am, too. Hopefully, our listeners. And thank you to all of our listeners to tune in. Um, I would say that this, this today's topic would fit two categories, really. One, learning from another Optimize Advisor. That's you, in case you didn't know it. And two really optimizing our practice because we're going to dive into a segment of, of the insurance space, life insurance in particular, that has really been the, the lifeline of your practice over the years. Correct. We, sure we won't, has. we won't release the secret yet, but we will soon. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been the foundation of my practice. I, I'd, I'd like to think that um, 90% of my job is, is helping people to, to build wealth and especially to not lose the wealth that they have built. So yeah, rule number one, don't lose the money, right? And how about taxes? Well, taxes are a fantastic conversation to have. And everybody has a particular viewpoint, right? Every, everyone has a bias. Correct. No matter who the person is, uh, if if they say, well, I'm completely unbiased, I'm completely objective, uh, they haven't really thought about it. You know, I'm I'm biased towards you know towards peanut butter, and I'm biased away from liver. With all the respect to my Texas wife, right? Right. Everybody has has a bias. So my my bias is towards uh, generational wealth. My bias is towards uh, people who want to build wealth and do something with it. Correct. Not towards people who just want to get wealthy and get rich just to be rich, right? With all due respect to uh, Paris Hilton, it's a terrible example because she's a beautiful person and a beautiful soul and God bless her, but but she's probably inherited tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and at least the, the impression that the public might get is, hey, we're just building another Paris Hilton. I don't want my kids to be so uh, endowed with my money that they lose all drive and all intention and all motivation to do something with their lives. That's, that's important. So, so part of transferring generational wealth is not only the money. Maybe it's the most unimportant piece of generational wealth, but it's transmitting mm -hmm. those values that we hold dear, right? And, and we want our kids to share the values that we have, generally speaking. The, the important values, the spiritual values, the cultural values, the emotional values, the, the societal values, community values. The, to Again, you're hearing my bias right now. My bias is to help build wealth so that they can do good. Right. Amen to that. So, Amen to that. <clears throat> so let's take a little step back and, and properly kind of introduce you to, to the audience. Talk a little bit about your background, how you got into this business and how your practices evolved over the years. So Joseph Pantozzi, as you were saying earlier, you're the chief uh, deck swabber, correct? Is that yeah. what we said? What do we say? We, we joke about swabber. that. Chief yeah. cook and deck swabber, yeah. Founder of Alpha Omega Wealth, in all seriousness, president, you're leading the charge. You're the 
the chief vision officer, if you will, of the of the organization. And how did that come to be? When did you get into the insurance space? And not that you just do life insurance, but your primary expertise, would you agree, is 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 that of cash value life insurance or sophisticated high-end life insurance planning strategies? Sure. Um, the way I got into the business was was moving to Las Vegas, Nevada at 24 years old um, and having, having no place to hang my hat professionally and uh, walking into, I guess, opening up a newspaper and seeing a tiny one-inch ad. And it didn't say it was Metropolitan Life, but it was Metropolitan Life. And, um, and I, I started out knowing no one and, and having, having a script, you know, having, having a rate book and a phone book and, uh, and having not, mu not much of a coaching uh, environment, uh, but, but proceeded to, to make a living because I didn't have any other choice. Everyone has to do what they have to do to survive. And I started learning the, um, the, the virtue and the value of, of cash value whole life insurance issued by a mutual company, which is again, one of my biases, right? Mm -hmm. I believe in working yeah. with, with mutual companies back then MetLife was a mutual company. They've since become a stock company. They've gone public and I don't know how many hundreds of billions of dollars uh, that they have under, under management and, and God bless them that they've done a lot of, uh, a lot of great work for a lot of people for maybe 150 years. Uh, right. But I, but I uh, maybe eight years later uh, went over to another mutual company and, and continued to learn a little bit more about serving business owners and a little bit more uh, in depth about the value of whole life and what it can do. You're not just buying a policy to have it build up cash value so that you can transfer to your kids for the next 50 years. Um, you're, we're using policy cash value for all the different benefits that it, it enjoys. So, You've got multiple uses of money. So my, my career, if you will, um, started out, started out in, the, in the insurance space, the guarantee space, life, annuity, disability. Um, and I'll, I'll fast forward to, to uh, 1988 when I met my, my angel, my wife. And um, we, we, had, we had kind of a revelation. We had both been kicked in the teeth financially for, for different reasons. And we committed in 1988, basically the first day we, we got together, June 2nd, 1988. And we knew that our finances were a mess. And, and we, we both already had a commitment to God. And we said, we're going to give him his. We're going to, we believe in tithing, another bias, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're Christians. We, we believe in tithing. We're going to give God the first 10%. And we're going to put ourselves at the top of the food chain for um, being our own best customer, being our own best banker, uh, being our own best creditor. And we're never going to pay any bill before we pay ourselves first. So that was, was a, a value that we adopted in 1988. And we've never gone away from that. And we, and we, we've never, we never have been late in the car payment, uh, never have been late on a mortgage payment. Uh, but we had that, we had that value so that we, we would fill up our treasury slowly in the early years, uh, slowly but surely, but make sure that we understand the purpose of, of, of gaining um, income and earnings and commissions and so forth uh, was to take care of our family first. Yeah. Right. And then um, around the turn of century, around uh, 20, uh, about 2001, I met Nelson Nash 
and I was I was invited to a uh, a small conference, a seminar that he was teaching in uh, San Clemente, California. Okay. Yep, yep. There, there were maybe I don't think there were twelve or thirteen advisors in the room, and yeah. uh, we, met, we met Nelson Nash, and, and he had just uh, published his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. Back in the day, right. his his face was on the cover. His face should have been on the on the cover, the front cover, not the back cover. Right. And several several uh, versions later, somebody convinced him to put his his uh, name on the on the back of the his picture on the back of the cover. But uh, I've read the book a few times. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember which ver. You know, obviously, there's been however many editions because it's it's a it is a course. It's a class textbook, right? There's a lot of numbers in there. It's very educational. It's not a sales book. It's not. It's not a storytelling book. It it is it is the science and the methodology behind the infinite banking concept. So what what is the infinite banking concept? So I'm glad you said it's the science and methodology. That's 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 a really good um, premise to to help lay the foundation. The foundation is really kind of deep and wide. Right. And you know Nelson says that that his book is based on imagination, prophecy, reason and logic and mm -hmm. i'm saying i don't know if i was uh if i was too strong in any of those suits back in the day and and when i met nelson you know 20 years into my career um i kind of thought i had it going on i was a member of the million dollar roundtable for a long time and nelson started to ask me some questions about about my understanding about how money worked how banking works i'm like wait a minute nelson i'm not banking i'm in insurance and investments and financial planning he said, well, son, <laughs> uh, you need to understand how money works for any of those other, thing, other things to work. And do you know how much banks and lending institutions control your life? And uh, over the next 20 years, uh, I, was, I was privileged to be mentored by Nelson Nash um, until he died in, in 2019. And um, how was old just, was he when he passed away? He was 88. Okay, good life. Yeah. Yeah. Good life. He called me up yeah. one day and said, son, I got to go over to Napa Auto Parts and pick up a valve. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could do justice to his beautiful Birmingham, Alabama accent. Right. The draw. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he said, I'm either going to be, be fixed for a while or I'm not going to make it off the table. And he didn't make it off the table. Yeah. Uh, but uh, beautiful man, uh, beautiful testimony, beautiful faith, beautiful wife, Mary, beautiful family, uh, great grandchildren, uh, and, 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 and wisdom uh, for some hundreds of probably hundreds of advisors, and I'm sure tens of thousands, if not more, clients. So yeah. I was making some notes this morning. If I could just throw this in, you know, please, so many people. We'll, we'll read something, they'll listen to something, they'll watch a, a podcast or, or a YouTube piece, and, and they'll say, okay, I got to buy this thing. I got to work with this advisor. I, I got to change this one thing. You know what? It, it's not about changing one thing. It's not about buying one thing. It's, it's a lifestyle. And the lifestyle is I'm going to have to be committed to educating myself because mm -hmm. if a person just starts swallowing all, all the, the lines that are out there, what they're going to wind up doing is putting a new product into an old system. You know, there's, there's a, some wisdom there about putting 
putting new wine in new bottles and old wine in old bottles. You wind up putting right. new new wine in old bottles. Um, they're gonna they're gonna break break the break the bottles. I know that I totally botched that. But if you're gonna be involved in the infinite banking concept, you first need to understand it's it's an advanced course on money. Right. And it's gonna challenge you um, to reevaluate the understanding that you have about how money works, how banking works, how the government taxation works and the government control over our money, how Wall Street is involved, how insurance companies work. And so the, the essence of the infinite banking concept is, is learning how to get back control that we've given away, get back control of the banking function. Because the right. banking function is what causes us to send most of our money outward, right? And we lose control of our money. And money is flowing outward. Yeah. Given the banking concept, it was all about getting you to learn how to draw money toward you instead of having it go away from you. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, so the, the examples that obviously are coined by the banking concept and the easiest analogy is when you go to buy a car and how, how the financing of the, the lending of the vehicle works. But But I like to shift away from that for the simple fact that how can we utilize this concept to to directly leverage appreciating assets maybe maybe it's investment properties things this other other investments that i could could leverage the value of of the cash value in to continue to create more velocity and generate more wealth is that yeah. applicable that's a great question. That's a that's a great setup. I wish I had scripted that question for you. So so three things. One is using the infant banking concept to finance your cars is absolutely important, right. and it's great practice because it, when you start to finance your own cars, which I've done since two thousand three, if you start to finance your own cars, you will literally see on your net worth statement that you're going to be gaining net worth in dollars that you didn't have before because you were paying someone else, you're paying interest out, you were losing control of the vehicle, con uh, owner, uh, control of the salvage value, whatever. Mm -hmm. But now every time I buy another car, I gain more equity, right? So so it's like, it's like IBC, infinite banking concept on training wheels when you're financing your cars, you should absolutely right. do that. But then you have to realize that any asset that you have, if you're not getting it to move money, you might as well just have money sitting in a CD paying 2%. It's not right. a good example. Have your money sitting someplace, have it sitting in checking, have it sitting under the mattress, or even having it sit in a life insurance policy. Because you just hit, hit the nail on the head. The whole idea be, behind building wealth using infinite banking is not that the wealth is going to reside in your policies, but when you start to create this family banking system, then you're going to learn how to capitalize the investments that you want to build, right. whether business or businesses that you own, whether it's which, whether it's cash flowing uh, real estate, even if it's investments in the stock market. I, I can't think of any other major categories where you would put money. Right, real estate, stock market, and and serial entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship. Right, right, right. 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 I, I own a Krispy Kreme. I own a gas station. I own a dry cleaners. All right, a department store. Whatever, whatever you like to own. Um, I tell people that is where you're actually taking the biggest risks of your life. 
when you put the key in the door, there is there is a high risk, right? People don't understand who are not business owners. That's the biggest risk you'll ever take. You don't have to worry about buying investments that are high risk. You already own plenty of that. Right. Right. So you you start to learn how to capitalize your business using your own capital account, your own capital fund, and create leverage, the right kind of leverage, smart leverage, not dumb leverage, not high, not toxic wealth. Then you're going to see how your wealth is going to going to multiply, but at the same time, your your capital account that you're using to finance it is is going to be a conservative vehicle, which itself is going to gain in equity. So now yeah. you're making money in two ways: you're making money from your from your investment, your cash flow, real estate, or your businesses, and you're also making money in the financing vehicle. You control both. So control is a big thing, and control leads to freedom. So the cash value of life insurance is kind of where the capital remains idle. I understand earning interest, which is a good thing. So better than probably the bank, uh, certainly a mutually owned whole life policy because you're getting interest as well as basically dividends, correct? Yeah, they don't use the word interest when it comes to a life insurance policy because there's a schedule. It's a guaranteed schedule. It becomes a little bit more esoteric, but a, an actuary would, would say, no, life insurance policy don't earn interest. They just don't. They have a guaranteed schedule of cash value plus dividends, but but the, I'd say the the concept is the same. You're right. Still, you're building money on money. You're still getting compound. Right. So okay. the idea then is you know the, to build to build the, the 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 capital structure that is the idle point to then go out and create more wealth, whether that's investment in you know expenditures in vehicles or better yet investment in uh wealth creating opportunities sure and and i think the a mistake that people make is looking at those things and saying okay in order if i'm going to build wealth i have to buy cash flowing real estate i have to get involved in a, in a business you really shouldn't get involved in anything you don't understand mm -hmm. and you don't want to do don't do it because you think somebody you else expects it of you don't do it because you think that's the only formula. Listen, if your formula for, for security and comfort comfort in your life is safety and you're and you're comfortable with a million dollars in a CD or five million dollars in a muni bond, you know, don't do something that goes out of your comfort zone. I mean, maybe a little bit outside your comfort zone. Right. Right. Somebody says, well, I think I want to invest in gold and silver. Well, maybe somebody who's worth, you know, some some number would put 5% of their net worth in gold and silver. They're certainly not going to put 50% in right. gold and silver because it has no cash flow. Right, right, right. Right. Okay, so so now I want to go back a little bit from a marketing element of this. You go to San Clemente's 2001. You walk out of there. You're enlightened. You've met, you've met, you've been introduced to IVC. You think, you know what? I'm going back to Las Vegas, which I'd love to talk a little bit about. It's a very unique and challenging town that I've, you know, with the years that we've worked together. Uh, it, it's different than most other, many other cities and metroplexes throughout the country. So what unique challenges did you experience, do you think, in, in Vegas, one? And the second part of that is how, how did you begin marketing this and getting yourself out there in this concept and in this strategy in and of itself? I love these complex questions. They're like four-part questions. That's fantastic. They are. They are. Well, you can take so, it however you'd like. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm good with that. So, so number one, 
I, I came back so enlightened that I had the book under a pile for about a year and a half <laughs> before I did anything with it. And you know why? Because Nelson talks about something called Parkinson's law, right? A luxury once enjoyed becomes a necessity, right? A, a, a cell phone is a, is a luxury. 30 years ago, it was a non-issue. It wasn't Correct. something you thought about. And I came back and, and I was already kind of on the road as a member of the Million Dollar Roundtable. Uh, I was doing well. My clients liked what I brought to the table. I thought I, I, I know I had integrity. I was honest and I, and I was diligent and I, and I was a hard worker. Right. And things were going well. So you had a good business. By the in 2001, you had a good business. Yeah. Things were humming right along. Yeah. 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 And and for a year and a half, I said, you know what? I, I don't know that I just need to read another book because it was just another book. Right. But I didn't take to heart what Nelson had said to me. And but then a year and a half later, I was I was encouraged to go back. And now, by the way, that was a 10-hour seminar. Wow. I was encouraged to go back and, and meet him again. Um, I've, I've flown to different cities. And over time, once once I got the bug, now I was inviting Nelson to my house. And my wife and I would invite Nelson and Mary because he never traveled without Mary. And now I would invite Nelson. We would have and we would have seminars. We would invite, invite our clients and maybe a few uh, prospective clients to seminars that were, you know, in-seat seminars we would have sometimes only 15 20 people sometimes 30 sometimes 40 times sometimes 60 70 in, in different venues mostly in las vegas and nelson would speak and he would say let's say um speak for two hours on thursday night and we would have hors d'oeuvres and, and and uh and light refreshments and then they would come back on friday and he would do it eight hours on friday oh my god and, and after a while I said, Nelson, uh, you know, some of our clients and prospective clients, they're just not crazy about committing a day and a half. And we're going to get some some drop off. So could you kindly re reduce or compress our time together to uh, to a full day? And he said, you know, I'll do the best I can. And uh, and anybody who's ever attended a Nelson Nash seminar will know that he said the same identical thing at the same identical hour. He drank coffee all, all day long. Mm -hmm. uh, he told the jokes, the same jokes at the same identical time. And, and what he did was he laid such a beautiful foundation. Then clients would come to me and say, okay, how do I execute? Right. How do I apply this in my life? And he explained very, very openly, you know, this involves uh, utilizing a cash value whole life policy. And, and if you have whole life policies, absolutely, we can use them. But once you get the hang of how this is going to work, you're probably not going to be satisfied with what you have. You're probably going to want to build it 10x. Right. And a lot of clients have because back in the day, before I met Nelson, I was sharing with a client what kind of life insurance would be good for them, what I thought that they should have, what they could afford, so forth and so on, based on their budget. And they'd buy a product based on a price. Right. And after I met Nelson, clients would look at this and they would say kind of on the sly, so how much can I get in this thing? So it was no longer a matter of what's it going to cost me. It was, it was a matter of how much can I get in it? Because right. they were getting the understanding that I've, I've learned over the years 
That's not how banks and Fortune 500 companies buy it. They pour as much cash as they possibly can pour into a policy, and then they control it with all, all the different attributes that a policy has. Right. So, so that's what, what turned my business around. And when we start to explain to our clients, actually, your equity in your policy is going to appear in year one. So you're going to have access to, to cash flow from your policy in year one then, that you can then turn around and start getting rid of some of that toxic debt and take over your leases and get rid of your credit cards and, and start to, to build wealth using leverage in-house. And, um, and I, had to, I had to do an inventory of my own financial house and realize I wasn't even, I wasn't even cutting the grass when it mm. comes to my own policies. Right. Because I thought I was big time, you know, paying a thousand or two thousand dollars a month in life insurance premiums. And and when Nelson asked me one day, so son, um, what's the most valuable asset you have? And I know it's I know you're not gonna say your house. I said, No, it's my income. I understand it's my income, Nelson. So then are you putting <laughs> more money? Are you putting more money into your mortgage payment? Were you putting more money into your life insurance, insurance. program? Right. He said, ouch, I'm putting more money into my mortgage program. He said, why is that? And and that that put things in perspective for me. Right. And so now, you know, it's been many, many, many years since my wife and I only put away 10% for ourselves. Now you can live a very, a lot of people can live a very nice lifestyle on right. a premium that I put into my life insurance policies because all I'm doing is taking money from my earned income and I'm putting it into the other pocket, which is my life insurance portfolio. And it's, it's a large portfolio, maybe 30 or so policies. Right. Wow. Some of them are plus years old. Right. Wow. So, so our clients, so I mean, explain to our clients the way we build this policy, our commission within the policy actually drop like a rock. We cut our commissions out by by sixty percent. Correct. I'm living on forty percent of what I used to live on before. You'd think my lifestyle and my personal income would have gone down by forty percent. Our revenue went up by five hundred percent. Wow! Because our because our clients were coming and saying, "Well, yeah, that's that's a great idea to put a couple thousand dollars a month, but I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in putting away large sums of money, six figures. Right. Some clients, seven figures." So the concept uh, can, can be adapted to anybody's budget or anybody's balance sheet. So what we're doing is we're following what banks do with their tier one capital. I mean, banks, the biggest banks, are putting 25% of their tier one capital, billions of dollars, in the life insurance policies, and nobody knows this. Hmm. And the banks aren't going to advertise it because they don't want people taking their money and, and, and going direct to the insurance company. They right, want right, people right. to put deposits in so the banks can buy the insurance and the banks can benefit from it. Fascinating. Hmm. So we're just doing what banks do. We're just doing what Fortune 500 companies do. Now, in, in, within, within you know, Clark County, let's put it that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you agree or disagree that you've got it's a transient population in many cases um i guess I, i'm asking what unique challenges did you see within your core market 
if if any, outside of the norm. Uh, but you've also, I know, over the years have now expanded more on a national perspective, meaning you have clients all over the country. Yeah, we have clients uh, all over the country and we have agents in uh, 10 states now um, from from Pennsylvania um, out to out to Seattle, Washington, down to um, California, middle, central California and, and, and a bunch of states in between. Uh, so so I you know, my my practice personally is divided up between serving my clients and, and mentoring and coaching new agents because I'm, I'm totally committed to this industry because I believe it's the best industry on the planet because of how we serve people and what we do to serve people. And so I want to continue to replicate myself and, um, and, and leave a bigger footprint and help agents um, acquire financial literacy and encourage their clients to do the same. Right. So, okay. Challenges for Las Vegas. I was told when I, first set foot in Las Vegas, you know, as a, as a financial advisor, as an insurance broker, <clears throat> it's a very transient town. Companies that have large um, agencies or want to have large agencies are always going to be challenged. And that's totally been the truth. Totally been the truth. I mean, my agency is 90% outside the state of Nevada. Right. 90% right. of my agents are outside Nevada. Right. So th there's an element to that. There's an element of, of, of the, the transient quality. Now, I guess balancing that out is um, I kind of put blinders on. And I said, I'm not going to let myself be swayed by, by the glitz and the lights and, and, the, and the people who work in the, on the strip and the hotels, and the casinos and the entertainers, because those are typically not my clients. They're not. I'm okay. Gonna, I'm not going to try to cater to them or, 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 or make them clients, but there is a strong, um, deep foundation of, let's say ordinary people mm -hmm. who live in Las Vegas. So there's 2.2 million people there. So they need a lot of doctors. Unfortunately, they need a lot of lawyers, right? Right. <laughs> they need a lot of real estate people. They need a lot of, um, uh, CPAs. They, they built up Las Vegas over, over the last 50 years, right? There was 200,000 people when I moved there. There were 2.2 million when I left. They need architects. They need contractors. They need all the ancillary businesses relating to a, a, a city that's growing. Yeah, to support so the I, economy. I, I focused my practice on uh, meeting up with people that are kind of ordinary people who are, I guess, not entertainment related. Got it. And there, and there are tons and tons of those. Yeah, with 2.2 million, I mean, I know when you moved there, 200,000, so it grew to that over the years. There's certainly a, a, a tremendous population that you can reach and connect with. And I guess that's the takeaway, too, is even though a community may, quote unquote, seem small in the beginning and or, or even today, there's still a tremendous opportunity within any community. I mean, we work with many advisors all across the country and some are working in very small marketplaces, relatively speaking. They don't have two plus million people in their, in their county and within their local community, but they're driving success. They're driving results. They have a business plan. They're executing their business plan. And I, like you, I would say many of them are core to what it is they're trying to solve or mm -hmm. the value that they're trying to bring. And mm -hmm. they are very focused in that as opposed to 
trying to do everything and being fragmented? So, you know, people are people. And, and the only difference between a, a, a W-2 wage earner, somebody who works for a company, somebody who's an employee, you could be, an, you could be a physician or an attorney, uh, but you're an employee because you, you draw a paycheck from some company. Mm-hmm. But, um, so so the, uh, the issue with business owners is maybe they have more of the same issues. Maybe they have more complex issues. You know, they're, they're serving their customers and they're also serving their employees. So when I meet with business owners, they have the same issues that, that a non-business owner has. How do I save more money? Uh, how do I become more efficient? Uh, how do I put money aside for retirement? How do I position my company um, so I can either sell it or transfer it to the next generation? Or if, if I'm, if I'm going to continue the business for the next 50 or 60 years and family members are going to take over, how do I take and extract some cash for myself? How do I separate some money from the business? And then there, there, are, there are a lot of basic issues and, and you can take any checklist you want, you know, or are you covered adequately for health insurance, disability insurance, life insurance? Do you have an umbrella policy, right? Mm-hmm. If you go down this checklist, nine out of 10 people will say, oh yeah, my, my plan isn't perfect. Um, I've got some things I've been wanting to do for the past several years and haven't got around to it. And all of a sudden, 10 years went by and I'm still there. Um, I, I just worked with a client, uh, starting to work with a client who's in his early 70s, um, who's worth in the tens of millions of dollars, doesn't have a will. That's more the rule than the exception. Doesn't have a will, got assets in multiple states. Hmm. Now, we're not financial, we're not um, estate planners, we're not attorneys, but we'll help will work within the framework of their of their team, you know, work as um, um, as a facilitator and help the client or encourage a client to meet with this attorney or that attorney and, and get all their ducks in a row. Get, put those documents together to right. find the people that they want to have for their trustees and their guardians and, and so forth. So a lot of what we do is very, very basic and it just may appear a little bit more um, technical or complex uh, from the surface, but underneath, you know, people buy insurance because they love somebody or they owe somebody and everything else is, is kind of a variation on that theme. Yeah. Can we talk a minute or two about product? Sure. So whole life is core to this principle, right? And to your business. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure you get this asked. Why, Why not index universal life? Okay. So my, again, my bias will come in and I, of course, you not, you need to be able to. to well, and I appreciate that. That, that. That's, I guess that's why I'm asking this is yeah. from a positive standpoint and explaining your bias. Sure. Sure. So my bias goes back to the, to about 1980 when I was already in the business a few years and EF Hutton comes out with universal life. Mm-hmm. And uh, not not a one or two years later, the prime rate was around 16%. And those universal life policies were projecting, illustrating 16, 17, 18%. And of course, you know. Well, and, and, though, and you know, those panned out beautifully, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, for about a, a minute. Uh, you know, early on, I was going to ask, when, when, <laughs> when you met your beautiful 
the better half, sweetheart, uh-huh. by the way, in 88. What were interest rates? What was your mortgage at then? You know, you think um, about that. You know, uh, because because my finances were a mess in the late 80s, 10 years in the business, um, I remember getting a loan that was around 10%. Uh, early 80s, I had a 13% mortgage. Yeah. So um, it settled down to about 10 because my credit wasn't good. And then once I rehabilitated my credit, you know, we went back into the 7 or 8% range. Um, but even but so even high. recently, when we bought this house in April, our, our rate was just maybe a tad above 3, 3.1%. And, but even in three months, it's gone up to the fives. So it's gone up 60% when you think about it. Yeah. So rate, rates have been crazy. Yeah. And, and oh, by the way, another plug for product. If you build a capital account inside a life insurance policy, you're not going to appreciate the borrowing value inside a policy when mortgage rates are 3%. Right. But when mortgage rates start to go up above five or above six, and lines of credit or business credit is now going into six, seven, eight percent range, depending on your, your business and so forth. You really get to love the ability to borrow against your policies because you're not withdrawing the policies. You're using it as collateral. The insurance company is giving you a, a, a loan at interest only at four percent. Right. And then even some clients uh, who are maybe more sophisticated, have more equity in their policies. Um, we're, we're aligning them with companies, with with banks. They're lending on those cash values in the three and four percent range. So, so don't worry about whether rates are three or four or five percent. But think about sometime in the future when rates are going to go back to eight and ten and fifteen percent, right. and you're gonna you're gonna really love the idea that you've got whatever the number is fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, a million dollars in an account that you can borrow against at 4%. And, and Nelson told us, you know, when you've got money that you have access to at 4%, interest only for as long as you want, and there are other people out there who have needs, you know what you become? Potentially a lender. Yeah, that's right? a good point. And there are yeah, a, lot of, a lot of things to discuss about that. I mean, you're not going to just be giving out money, lending out money willy-nilly without without collateral, without without documentation, without having a, a solid borrower, right? That those are separate issues. Well no, but that becomes the, the mechanism for you to become an official, you know, from a private perspective, a, a lender, right? So it's building that structure and you can promissory notes, collateral, all the things that go with that, no different than how a bank would operate when lending money to their customers. Um, if, if you don't need and use the capital yourself, right? Right. And and so the, the same people back in the day who would say, well, you know, I just can't even, I can't even fathom putting, you know, $1,000 or $5,000 a month into some vehicle for some future purpose. Those same, same people are going to get to the age that I'm at now, which is, you know, older. <laughs> They're going to get to retirement-like age and they're going to say, Gee, I wonder why my account is only, uh, you know, eighty-five thousand dollars altogether. You know, mm-hmm. you, you look at, at the stats, and they say the average average person in a four who has a four hundred one k account over the age of sixty-five has a quarter million dollars in their balance. Well, that's very interesting to see an average, but averages are very, very misleading. Right. If you look, if you look at the median, in other words, 
the median is right in the middle. 50% of the people have more than that. 50% of the people have less than that. That number for 65 or older is about $80,000. Wow. So they, they worked their whole life. And if their primary asset is their 401k, which for a lot of people it is, what were you, what were you doing for the last 40 years? Right. I mean, it's not, I'm not the, I'm not the, the message. I'm just the messenger. Correct. Right? Don't shoot the messenger. You want to have a decent lifestyle for those 40 years in retirement. You need to start really getting serious about it at the same time, teaching your kids the realities of people living longer. Absolutely. So, Yeah. Well, we're running out of time. I, I, I guess I would end with this. Thank you for your time, number one. Number two, any parting words or words of wisdom that you can instill upon the listeners who are particularly interested in doing more with cash value life insurance? Sure. Um, thank you for that. I, I really appreciate my time with you all the time. So your finances are not a sprint their marathon. Your, your financial life is a marathon and the finish line is not retirement. So, so many people start thinking about these radical changes when they get to retirement. Yeah. It's a great point. You know, the mindset should be almost, that's when your financial journey like really begins because now you're living 30, 30 plus years without wages. Right. Right. And I, I read, and I, I believe this is true. I've read it from several different sources that when people attempt to make the uh, ascent of Mount Everest, more people die on the descent absolutely, than they do on the ascent. Correct. And, and this may be a metaphor. I'm not sure how those things work, but it, it may be true that people get into more trouble because they're desperate because they haven't hit the marks that they wanted to hit for whatever reason, right? Life gets in the way and it always will. They haven't hit the marks they wanted to hit. Now, all of a sudden, they're retirement age. And they say, well, now I have to start taking more risk because of because of my, my needs. I didn't buy long-term care. I have a, a disabled spouse, whatever the issue is. Too much investment risk. You know, right. We can go on and on. Sure. But, and, and it's hard to, to convey those thoughts and those, those images to kids who are 25 and 35 and 40 years old and say, you know, no matter what you might be thinking, uh, you're going to be that person one day. And, you know, you've got to resist the temptation to dip into those emergency savings during, during your working years, your earning years, your child raising years and your business building years. So if, if it takes two accounts or three accounts or four accounts for you to get to where you need to go, well then, gee, maybe you need to have a separate account to make that, trip to San Diego Wild Animal Park one day. You don't want to deplete your emergency savings. Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. So I'd say we still need to pay attention to the to the basics. As, as Americans, we make more money than anybody on the planet. And, and like I said, the luxury once enjoyed becomes a necessity. So we make more money. We spend more money. We're in more debt. And our, and our government is almost representative of the individual. Because the government seems to think it can keep on printing money and, and going into debt forever, forever, forever. It's not going to work. And what we're talking about is being diligent with your money. Uh, you can't control what the government does. You can control what you do in your own house, your own business, your own family. 
your own, your own heirs. Have these conversations. Have family conversations about money. <laughs> I know that's tough. People mm-hmm. would people would sooner talk about their immortal soul than they would about their money. I find that interesting. Very uh, interesting. People, people, yeah, and people are private. Well, about the, about the, the other analogy is people spend considerably more time spending their trap uh, planning their their vacations than they do their retirement. For sure, for sure. Yep. And maybe they don't want to talk about their finances simply because they're a, a little bit embarrassed. But I. The, I guess my response to that is, listen, we're on the same boat. Yeah. We're just people. And and for, for, for me and for, for you, I know, Scott, you're, I know your heart. We're just here, here to help people. Yeah. Help you figure it out. Um, and there may be 50 things you need to do. Just start with one at a time. So with that said, how, how do uh, our listeners engage with Alpha Omega or, and Joe? How do they get in touch with you? So you could reach me at my office number, 702-430-4400. Or you can go to my website, alphaomegawealth.com. And just hunt around there. Uh, You'll see the the, the values that we talk about, um, the the things that we believe we can help you with. Uh, We'll talk about our our team. We kind of have a very deep bench in terms of our advisors, professional advisors in our, in our back room, mm-hmm. valuation services for businesses, et cetera. Um, I, I love to be able to steer clients to the professionals that they need. They may not all be under my roof, but I'm happy to talk with the client and their present advisors. I mean, this is kind of a new thing for, for others. It's mm-hmm. not new for me. I don't want to do anything with you or for you that your present advisor is not going to agree with. Right. And, and, you know, I want to help your present advisor become better. Maybe I could learn from them. Absolutely. So it's not a, it's not about a contest between me and an advisor. It's about helping the client. And, and that's, that's a refreshing mindset in and of itself. So kudos to you. Thank you for for tuning in and being here. Cheers to you, my friend. Till next time. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please subscribe, like, share, leave a comment or review. Be sure to check us out on social media at Optimized Advisor Podcast. Till next time.